Some of you know about the lectionary text, four passages that uh, most of the Protestant church preaches and also some Catholic churches every year. Um, there's a gospel, a wisdom literature, a psalm or proverb. There's a letter from Paul or one of the New Testament writers and there's Hebrew scripture. So this year's lectionary is Mark's gospel and I am thrilled because it's my favorite. And so I'm gonna be preaching again today from Mark as he sets up the ministry of Jesus in his beautiful storytelling. <clears throat> this is about Jesus's encounter with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. Listen, Mark chapter one, 21 to 28. When they entered Capernaum, when the Sabbath arrived, Jesus lost no time getting to the meeting place, to the synagogue. He spent the day there teaching and they were surprised at his teaching. So forthright, so confident, so authoritative, no quibbling and quoting like the religion scholars, the scribes. Suddenly, while still in the meeting place, Jesus was interrupted by a man who was deeply disturbed and yelling out, what business do you have with us here, Jesus? Nazarene, I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God and you've come to destroy us. Jesus shut him up saying, quiet, Get out of him. And the afflicting spirit threw the man into spasms, protesting loudly, and then got out. Everyone there was spellbound, buzzing, buzzing with curiosity. What's going on here? A new teaching that does what it says? He shuts up even the deviling demonic spirits and tells them to get lost. News of this traveled fast and was soon over all of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. Okay, so I need you to come with me to first century Palestine. I need you to let go in your mind that maybe you don't think there's a devil or there's demons. I need you to let go in your mind that that the that there's a kind of supernatural craziness in the text. If you remember, Jesus starts his ministry by being driven out into the wilderness and being tested by Satan, the adversary. What I need you to know is that this kind of spiritual warfare, Holy Spirit versus demonic spirit, was real in first century Palestine. Has it? has been real in pockets of humanity all over the globe, all over time. Cuba, African nations, lots of indigenous places. Understand that there is a kind of other plane in which their spiritual battles are happening. And you can hear that through the New Testament and actually also in the Hebrew scriptures. So let go of, was there really a devil or was there really a demon? And also let go of what you might've heard going up that somehow this man in the synagogue had like epilepsy and was having an epileptic fit. That's not what Mark is talking about. That's not what Mark is talking about. Let me take you back to the sermon that Mark is preaching, the story that Mark is telling. This is the good news of Jesus, Messiah, son of God. Good news, 
the beginning of the good news. He's taking us all the way back to the beginning of creation. There's an old world and now there's a new one, the beginning of the good news. The good news, the gospel. Gospel in Mark's time would have been propaganda for the empire. Propaganda for the empire. The good news that a king was born, the good news that the empire had defeated some enemy, the good news, the gospel. Mark is hijacking that word to say this is the good news, the very good news of someone who's coming to make a new world. The kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Caesar. Mark is writing, as I told you, a political gospel, a political story, a political piece of literature. And for him, the political and the spiritual are the same. It's the beginning of a new world, a new way to be, a new world order in which the reign of God, the household of God, God's economy defeats the reign of Rome, the household of Rome, and it happens in the person of Jesus, and it happens in the ones that Jesus calls to be fishers of people, the one who Jesus calls to be writers for people, the ones who Jesus calls, and that's you and me, friends, to use their vocation and their gifts to help to bring about the new world. Now that Mark has set us up and called all of us into discipleship by reporting on what Jesus did with the, with the students of his in that day, he now puts Jesus on the beginning of his campaign. Now, you know, Middle's a justice-loving church, so we're always doing a campaign. Right now, Amanda's plotting um, with one of our members, Megan Kirksey, to do a freedom lab on how to fight this virus. That's part of our social justice campaign. When we work on um, teaching parents how to love on their children in this time of isolation or against guns or, or, or for choice or, or for the environment and against racism, this is our campaign. Jesus is beginning his campaign and he begins it in the center, in the center of religious life, which is to say in the beginning of the society life. Because in Mark's time, in, the, in ancient Palestine, occupied by Rome, the synagogue was not unlike me growing up in the black church, the place where campaigns were organized, the place where children were taught and raised, the place where news was shared, the place where energy was garnished to make a world better. Jesus goes right to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the text tells us that he preaches as one with authority, as one who is compelling, as one whose sermon is totally different than the sermon of the scribes. The scribes, these religious authorities, these religious leaders that were also trained in the law, who had been preaching something, but the something that they had been preaching had been blessing rather than challenging the status quo. God's people were poor, God's people were broke, God's people didn't have health care. God's people had to give up a lot of tax money to build roads for Rome in territories that had nothing to do with them. God's people were not in control. They didn't have vote, voice, agency to change the things around them. And the scribes, the scribes had been quoting scripture and preaching, but not at all teaching anything that would shake up the money that they were able to skin off the top, 
or to change the way the world went. Here comes Jesus on the Sabbath day, preaching in such a way that it stunned the people who were listening. And not only that, panicked them, the language says in Greek, that they were thinking, what is happening right now? And right in the midst of that, right there in the synagogue, in the holy place, is a man filled with an unclean spirit, a demon. Now, stay with me. Again, not mental illness, somebody filled with malevolence, somebody filled with the same kind of spirit that had tested Jesus out in the wilderness. Mark wants you to make a connection there that this malevolence was hanging out in the synagogue, unchallenged. Didn't say that this was one of the scribes, did not say this was one of the religious leaders, said that this man with the unclean spirit was hanging out in the synagogue. Okay, and what happens? The man, the unclean spirit, speaks to Jesus. Hey, why are you here? What have you got to do with us? What are you going to do with us? Jesus knows his name. Nazarene knows where he's from. Calls him, calls him a holy one of God. Not the Messiah, not son of God, a holy one of God, a teacher, a prophet. And Jesus silences the man with the unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit recognizes Jesus, names Jesus, this is an act of power in ancient culture. Remember how Adam was able to name all the animals? The one with the power does the naming. So before the demon says anything else, actually calls Jesus son of God, Messiah, Jesus silences him, tells him to be quiet, and also commands the demon, the, the unclean spirit, to come out of the man. Now, this is a battle. This is a cosmic battle between good and evil, between Holy Spirit and malevolent spirit, between reign of God and reign of Rome. And all through his gospel, all through his subversive good news, Mark is gonna build this tension and it's beginning to build now. Right now, Jesus at the beginning of his campaign has been able to control Satan in the wilderness and is able to rebuke this spirit inside the synagogue. Question, why is there an unclean spirit in the synagogue? Why was it okay with the scribes that an unclean spirit hangs out in the synagogue? Sometimes religious leaders don't like to call stuff what it is. Sometimes religious leaders, people like me, don't feel comfortable saying, uh, that's not okay. Um, that's kind of foul, uh, that's wrong, or that's evil. Because we think if we do, we're being judgmental. And we think if we're judgmental, people don't wanna to come to church. And we think if people don't come to church, we won't get paid. So some religious leaders are quiet, even in the face of what is clearly unacceptable, even in the face of what is clearly wrong, even in the face of violence, in the face of racism, in the face of homophobia and transphobia, in the face of anti-Semitism, in the face of anti-Islamic sentiment, in the face of 
capitalism gone wrong in the face of poverty that cripples God's people, religious leaders just might keep their mouth shut because they don't want to make anybody angry and they don't want to make anybody uncomfortable and they therefore don't tell the truth. Some commentators say when the man with the demon spoke up, he was speaking on behalf of the scribes, the religious leaders. What have you got to do with us? What are you going to do with us? Are you going to destroy us? And the scholars who think that think it because in chapter three, when the scribes are coming for Jesus, they say he is possessed with a demon. Can you feel the kind of symmetry in this story of Jesus casting out an unclean spirit that wonders if Jesus is there to destroy the teaching of the scribes and then the scribes accusing Jesus of being filled with an unclean spirit. Mark is making a contest, friends, right there. So these scribes, these religious leaders who don't challenge the status quo, who don't speak against overtaxing people, who don't speak against prohibiting people from making a way out of their lives, who don't speak against the giant chasm between the have and the have not. Those people, they weren't preaching with authority. Jesus's authority is the one that was capturing the imagination and therefore the organizing and therefore the willing to stand up and fightness, the willing to speak up, the, the, the willingness to protest of these people. This sets in motion, this early in the gospel, the context that's gonna end in Palm Sunday with Jesus being tried as a criminal. Do we have unclean spirits in the places of religion today? Of course we do, of course we do. We have uncleanness in our religious houses. We have funky, old timey theologies in our religious houses. We have white supremacist ideologies in our religious houses masquerading as faith. We have hate queer people in our religious houses. We have racism in our religious houses. We have unclean spirits in our religion yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it lives unchallenged, unrebuked, unexercised because we're afraid. Because we're afraid to declare ourselves, to tell the truth, to tell Jesus' truth. This week, Middle Church tweeted some beautiful tweet. I'm paraphrasing it just a little, but we're more concerned with making sure God's people have food on the table than saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost or the personal relationship with Jesus Christ or getting yourself ready to parachute out of the earth and off into heaven. I added some there. The fighting on Twitter and in Instagram because of that theological stance that people would write back, oh no, Jesus is much more concerned about our personal salvation. 
Oh no, it's okay for people to be hungry. What makes you think God wants everybody to eat? I'm calling that unclean spirit. I didn't say demonic. I'm saying unclean. I'm saying impure. I'm saying not right. What interpretation did the scribes make about what was being said in the space of religion that would allow them to keep demonic spirit in the space? What, what weak, tepid preaching must that have been? Versus Jesus calling powers, principalities, and authorities to live as though God's reign is the most important thing on earth, to live as though to live as though the least are the first, to live as though children matter, all people matter, outsiders matter, women matter, to live as though our job is to make what we believe will be in heaven right now. This is a moment for the same kind of context and the same kind of contest right here in our religious life. Our religious life that created the clan our religious life that sent little children on shoulders to watch lynchings, our religious life, our Christian religious life that allowed for the wholesale extermination of Jews because they weren't Christian, the torture of Muslims because they weren't Christian. That's the same kind of tepid, unclean preaching that will not criticize people who chase children and accuse them of creating a false lie around gun violence when their friends have been killed. That the same kind of unclean talk that leads to the insurrection, not the protest that happened on January 6th. This kind of unclean teaching in our religious institutions, and Christians don't have the monopoly on that, hate speech, anti-people speech, the lie about the environment being in trouble, this kind of unclean teaching has got to be challenged and it isn't just my job to do so, my friends. It's hard to tell the people we love that we disagree with them. It's difficult to challenge the religiosity of people with whom we're in relationship. It makes us want to keep our mouths closed and see what's gonna happen. But look what happens when we keep our mouth closed. The planet is dying. Look what happens when we keep our mouth closed. The closed mouth approval of exterminating Jews, of taking the land from the indigenous and kidnapping children and forcing their language and culture out of them. That same silence that allowed for racism to grow unchecked in this nation and to keep on marching until it puts its knee on the necks of black people. Child, we have work to do to clean up these houses of faith with fierce love. Fierce love that takes the risk to tell the truth. Fierce love that challenges itself to be confrontational. Fierce love that will not abide a lie. 
fierce love that won't pretend that everything's okay because it's not. There's too much at stake. Our babies are watching. Our old people are languishing. The poor are poorer. The environment is in trouble. We are the ones we've been waiting for to speak the truth, to call what's unclean, unclean. Yesterday, I spent three hours cleaning up my office. It looked clean and it wasn't. There were dust bunnies everywhere, unfiled papers everywhere, stuff I refused to look at because I couldn't face it. It just was COVID related depression, leaving things lying around. I'm taking on my closet next. What needs to be cleaned up in our house might be our fear to call something unclean when it is. I'm inviting you to join me and the staff as we get ready to head into Black History Month and as we get ready to go to Ash Wednesday and be on a Lenten journey, to be on a journey to truth, to be on a journey of the ethic of love, to ask ourselves every day, what would love do now? And to do that. That's the only way that we're gonna clean up what's unclean inside ourselves and in our world. I hope you'll join us. Amen.